This is Scott. This is Rebecca. And we're the CEOs of Hardy, Party of Five. And a half. It's not really a company, it just sounds cool. And if you're looking for a normal family, well, you've certainly come to the wrong place. So keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and let's see where this roller coaster takes us. Hey, Scott. Hey, Rebecca. Guess what? What? You know our wedding podcast we just did? Yeah. I have three takers on wedding planning. No, you don't. I do. Are you serious? Yes, I can't divulge their names right now. Oh. But okay. I'm so excited. I have three wedding. I want to do wedding coordinating. Yeah. And this will be so great. So much fun. I feel like I can do it. I offered three free sessions and I have three takers. Okay. I had no idea. This I is know. hot off the press. <laughs> I'm super excited about it. I'm really excited about today because we have the Chrissy Dallas right here in our studio. Are you kidding me? Our studio, which is also your office. <laughs> <laughs> it's a multi-purpose room. It is. It is definitely that. There's stuff in every corner. So Chrissy Dallas is a wonderful author. She uh, prefers her music loud, her junior mints fresh when she's writing late at night. She married her best guy friend from college, and together they have two boys She's a messy inventor and a blooming musician. She teaches junior high, and that keeps her young, and she teaches Bible study, and that keeps her wise. And Chrissy, welcome to our podcast. Woo, thank I'm so you. glad you're here. I it's have, like hitting the big time, getting yes. to be on oh, the yeah. hearty party this, of five and a half. <laughs> <laughs> this girl, this is the big time. It is. It feels that way, especially <laughs> in this amazing office. <laughs> we like to call it a studio. Yeah, There's lots like of the lab. inspiration here. <laughs> the lab, I like that. Yeah, because you that's can what... tell like creative work happens in here. That's, that's the truth. <laughs> um, okay, I've always been jealous of your classroom. Like you, t- you, you post about it sometimes. You talk about your sevies, I think you call them. Mm-hmm. Is that what you call them? Sevies. Because Slang for seven. Seventh grade. Seventh grade. Mm-hmm. What do you teach? Is it English or is it creative writing? Like, it's reading. I okay. teach reading. But yeah, I have taught writing in the past. Yeah. Every person I know that has been in your class, like have graduated from that <laughs> high school, says you are the best teacher and Aww. they love you so much. I think you're super inspiring. Um, and so I think even on the creative writing side, like I think that has just totally blossomed so many kids out of that and they just they have grown to love writing because Mm. of the things that they've said about you I hope so yeah they (laughs) love it so how did you start writing how did I start writing honestly I've always been a writer I mean even as a child I was a storyteller and Mm. uh, before I could actually write words and then I remember like literally through junior high through you know high school and everything being that kid that was scribbling in a spiral and writing <laughs> stories instead of paying attention in yeah. class. So I know someone I like that. He's sitting yeah. across the table from me right There's now. There's a lot of doodling going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. We would have yeah. made a great team yeah, back yeah. then. Uh-huh. <laughs> you could still make a great team. Yeah, we could. Phantom Island the graphic novel. Oh, That's <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but seriously, like I just it, writing has always been part of me, but then of course, like, you know, when you get to college I was actually dating and yeah. living life, and uh-huh. I kind of stopped writing for fun until I became a junior high teacher. Yeah. And man, you want to get inspiration for stories <laughs> and drama, go teach junior high. Um, so a lot of it really was just reading um, before. I mean, I guess the inspiration to become a writer professionally, it mm-hmm. really came, it started with my students. Yeah. Um, so reading the books that they were reading and engaging those stories with them, and it be just you know, becoming part of our classroom experience and then watching them sit and write. Uh, Mm -hmm. In my classroom, there was one day I do remember, like, we were doing a creative writing assignment and I'm sitting there watching all my kids on beanbags and on the floor and they're just, you know, scribbling away. And I was like, 
you know what? I'm going to do that today too. (laughs) I'm going to sit down and just start writing. And I did. And it was just, you know, it was just so much fun. And so, um, I kind of got to this point where I was like, you know, I, I would like to create something that, that would move their hearts and their emotions and create discussion and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that the same way that these books they're reading are doing. And so really, I mean, they were my inspiration to jump into that. Yeah. So now it took a while to get there, get published, get the whole process going, but, um, but the creativity was, was definitely in the junior high classroom. So with your students, do you like, I mean, do you like have them are they working on a novel? Are they working on smaller pieces or like usually short stories? Yeah. yeah. Things like that. That But I do, you know, every year I can spot those kids that were like me that were working on novels in their own spare time. Yeah. Um, I've definitely looked over some shoulders and been like, Oh, that's not what we're doing right now. (laughs) And you know, I will never get onto a kid for that. I just kind Mm -hmm. of push aside like, I really need you to pay attention right now. (laughs) I was like, that looks so good. Come back to it later. Come back to it. That's Um, really cool. Yeah. So, So what is your favorite part of this creative process of writing? Like, I know I, I'd mentioned to you um, before when Scott, who loves to write, he has to have a cover first to like have. <laughs> yeah, I need the graphic he to needs know direction. Where it's and mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I've done these couple of children's books, but that was like last on my plate. I'm like, no, I have a goal of what I want someone to learn from this in mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Uh, for me, I think it starts with the characters. Like I need to know who my people are that I'm mm-hmm. going to be following. I always think writing is really two steps. And when you talk to people about it who don't understand the process, first, I actually write in my head before Mm -hmm. I ever write, you know, words on the computer. I have to get into a place where my imagination just takes off with that story. And I'm, you know, envisioning the whole thing and I'm feeling it. Like, so for me, it's really about Mm -hmm. feeling those characters. I'll literally get in my car sometimes and drive and I'll turn up very dramatic music <laughs> and just <laughs> let myself feel. I mean, even if it's a heartbreak song, I have been in tears over characters and uh-huh. stuff because the more I feel it, the more that translates. So I have to see Ooh. the whole scenes uh, playing out first before I then sit down and put it to paper. And so that's my favorite part of the creative process is actually the whole, it's almost like the honeymoon stage, the falling in love oh, part of the story for me in my head. So when you're starting, do you like write... A character, you write Whitney, and then you write character traits about her, or do you, like... No, I just kind of see her and see the characters together, like... Yeah, and there does come a part... This is, like, all five senses for you. It really is. It's very experiential. But, you know, I think that's why readers will always tell me they feel so passionate. I mean, you're not just... You either don't really care for Phantom Island, or you are passionately in love with it, It, because it just... It makes people feel. Yeah. So, um, well, I know that you're working on the audiobook, and I'm telling you, I am terrible at reading, but I can listen to a book mm. like, so I'm ready for that. I'm ready for you to have this done. I can't wait for this. Good. Will happen. you call me every day and just set a timer? Hey, yeah. get the audiobook get edited the audio today. This is so much work. I will buy your first copy. Is it a copy? Sure. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll call it a copy. Yeah. I will be Digital the first copy. one because I can only do audio. Like, I just fall asleep in the drop of You're the not hat, alone. So. I mean, I think that's why they're important, and uh-huh. I think that's why I'm putting the time in to do them because that's a huge way that people are getting in their right. their stories in literature nowadays yeah. like and Scott and I haven't read the, the her books because they are geared towards young adult even though we know a lot of adults that have the adult, a lot of adults that have read them mm-hmm. but we have not personally read them mm-hmm. however in a few minutes we're going to take a quiz on yep. something that will clue us into how we fit to find out who we really are who That's we right. really are yeah. it's going right. to reveal all kinds of things about you <laughs> I can't wait so you say you start with the characters mm-hmm. how do you how does the plot then fit into that? Yeah. Do you have a plot off to the side um, that you're already thinking of? 
Or do the characters dictate the plot? You know oh, the saying? characters dictate the plot for me. And that's that's not always the easiest, best way to write. Um, but it works for me. So I do have, like... Because I'm about to finish a six-book series, so I'm on the, the sixth book of the series, and you have to have a plan to get there. Oh, like yeah, you, can't, you, you can't <laughs> write yourself into a hole. Um, so I have, like like major moments like point a point b point c that i know have to happen in each book and this the ending point for the book right how i get there though is absolutely always a surprise and it's always so much richer and fuller than i than i even imagine because i let the characters kind of dictate it and i think that's probably why i start with the characters because the more i understand and know them and their motivations and their fears and how they relate to the world around them, then it's very easy for them to drive me mm-hmm. where they need to go. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, if things are ever at a lull or you're like, I'm not sure what to do next, you beat them up a little bit. <laughs> Introduce <laughs> some conflict, you know. I'm always like, sorry, babies, it'll be better. In a few scenes, just hang with it. That's great. So in writing for teenagers, like, I know this has got to be a big problem, like writing appropriate content. Mm. Because I remember going to the Scholastic Book Fair with mm-hmm. my fourth grader or even third grader and seeing books like Hunger Games, which eventually my kids read. But when I looked at the back of that, I was shocked at what my kids were going to read in third grade. And I don't know how they go through deciphering like what, what gets put in where, but how do you edit content? Because I know you've got, you've got to have some strong convictions about that. I do. So. Well, you know, uh, everybody has varying opinions on what's considered clean or not clean. And I, I try to avoid that word because I don't want to insinuate that somebody's work is dirty just because Mm -hmm. it's not at the standard that, that I would write at. And, you know, like I said, everybody would have varying levels of approval over what I write too. But, you know, I firmly believe, you know, every one of us has a worldview and that's shaped by something, by someone. And that's the lens you see the world around you. For me, I am shaped through the Bible, through Mm -hmm. God's word that, that is, how I filter my worldview. And so that naturally comes out in my writing. Because I'm a teacher, because I'm a youth pastor's wife, I think that I probably have a sense of responsibility more than maybe other writers do. I would think so. Most of the books that are written for teenagers nowadays, if you go and listen to these authors talk or you go follow them for even two seconds on Twitter or whatever, Mm -hmm. you'll soon find out they're not in it necessarily for teenagers. It's very rare to find people like me who actually are writing for a teenage audience. They usually write something, they set it in that age group, you know, that teenage age group, their, their characters, and then the publisher decides this, hey, we're going to, you know, market this to teens. Yeah. So they don't always feel that sense of, like, responsibility, I think, that I do. Um, but I absolutely believe that, you know, I love to write romance, and first love experiences are really what my books center around. I think there's so much sweetness there, and I love kind of modeling... <laughs> healthy ways of that. Not that the characters are perfect and do everything perfect, but, um, I think it matters what you glorify Uh and, and where those boundaries are with that. I love awkward moments. (laughs) (laughs) That's the junior high teacher in me probably coming out. So I've had a friend that she always, every time she reads my book, she's like, you are the master of awkward teen moments. (laughs) It's amazing. And and those are some of the kids' favorite scenes, you know, because it's so real life. Yeah. Nothing is ever like, Oh, so perfectly romantic. Like, Oh gosh, what just happened? What are we doing? Um, so I think, um, for me, I have a very uh, rigorous revision schedule. Um, when one of the stages that I go through when I'm editing or when I'm revising a book, Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Sorry. <laughs> One of the stages I go through when I'm revising a book is I have teen beta readers read it. Oh, and that? um so they are they're like a sampling of my audience. Is that a book term I should know? Like <laughs> did you know that? Scott, yeah, you know, like you're, you're well, beta you know testing. everything. Everybody knows from our uh, podcast that yeah. you, you're like... It's you like beta testing. You're having people read it. And right. All I know about beta is out. a fish, oh, and gosh. there used to be a Betamax cassette tape uh. thing we used to listen to or watch on TV. So I don't know what y'all are talking about. Okay, well, now you know. No, I know. Beta readers are Never people... Heard of this. They're not the alpha. I'm the alpha. I wrote the book. <laughs> oh, the beta. that's where it comes from. <laughs> I guess I may it's, be making that oh, up. Oh, it's like the a secondary second opinion. person. A second, a second okay. opinion of the sure. book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Continue, beta So readers. I do, my beta readers always are a sampling of, uh, of parents. So I get mm-hmm. certain uh, parents that will read it. Um, some of them are usually in education, too, because I know in education, we teachers feel responsible for content a lot of times too yeah um and then i have a few teenagers and um this particular like with this last book that released in november fire trap it was um some very strong christian teenage girls so i knew if they were uncomfortable with something Mm -hmm. like it was something i definitely wanted to look into um and so what they do is just kind of give me feedback on things you know did it make you uncomfortable were you excited about that and they're they're hilarious their (laughs) comments are hilarious but i will say I, I've had never had any cussing in my books. That's just a personal standard for me. I like being able to tell parents, hey, there's no cussing, there's no sex, there's no there's no glorification of the, those dark things. Um, but there was a moment in this book at, towards the end of Fire Trap that was so intense and it was such a huge mess up um, for the characters that I thought... Whitney would say this particular word in mm-hmm. this moment. I won't say what it is, but um, <laughs> I mean, it's not, I mean, I don't know if cussing is rated on a certain level. It was yeah. a light cuss word, but it was still a cuss <laughs> word, right? So, Especially since your books hadn't had it. Hadn't had it, yeah. Big it deal. Definitely, yeah. Big deal. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I really wrestled over it. And so what I thought was, I was like, I'm just going to leave it in the rough draft. Because sometimes you write things in a rough draft that you know probably want to change that later, but until I can think of a better replacement for mm-hmm. it. So I had the girls read it, and I and I told them up front. Actually, I don't even know if I told them up front. I think we were on Zoom that night, um, <laughs> and we were reading because it's a very intense scene. I think we wanted to read it all together on Zoom. And so then we got to that part, and we were like, and we just read through it and said it. And then the girls were just silent afterwards because it's a really horrifying scene. I don't, I don't want to say too much. And then, so then once they got past their shock or whatever, I was like, okay, let's talk about the word. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like... Like, so it doesn't, it's, it's appropriate for what happened, but they're like, but one of the girls said, she's like, I want to be able to recommend this to my little sister to read. And I don't know if I'd be comfortable with that, you know? And then the other one was like, and also like, I love this character so much. I don't want her to say it, (laughs) you know? Oh, interesting. And so I, that was such good feedback and it was what I needed to hear to make the decision. I knew probably that it needed to come out. Yeah. Um, so I, I took it out. And then, of course, they were like, no, it's not strong enough now. Every, everything we tried after that, we were like, it, it was really hard to find the right. We did eventually find it. I think yeah. it works what's in the book now. So that that's an important part of the yeah. process for me. And I I mean, I know it sounds terrible to admit, oh, I had a cuss word. This happened again in Icarus in the, the unpublished novel that I have. Um, there was, and this is where I think writers, we have such a, you feel this responsibility to capture real life. So in real life, this character would right. say that word. Mm-hmm. Not everybody chooses not to cuss. Yeah. And not every character is has the same moral compass either, just like people don't. And so um, that happened again, and I asked the beta readers, you know, like, what do you think? All of them agreed. This is appropriate in the sense that he would say that mm-hmm. in that moment. Yeah. 
But we all ultimately came to the conclusion. And what I love about my teenage beta readers, beta, beta, my teenage beta readers. It's a new word, I know, but it's called beta reader. Thanks, never heard that. What's amazing about them, though, is they consult. I love that they bring their parents into the process because I, I've always said you can't talk to anybody about what you're reading, but you can talk except your parents. And so they'll they go back and have these conversations with their parents. And what we all kind of ended up coming to with Icarus was, yes, it could go in there, but wouldn't it be cool to, like, produce content that didn't have to, to rely on that, yeah. that didn't need that? And so I took it out because I was like, that's true. Uh-huh. So, again, you know, okay, you so make I those have, decisions based yeah. on your audience, though. I have a couple of questions about that. My, well, one statement and one question. My first question is, do you ever have beta readers that think opposite of you? Have you ever had a beta reader come back and say, see, I'm throwing that word around like my whole life. You sound so, sound so natural. <laughs> Have you ever picked beta readers that don't think like mm-hmm. you or don't fall that? Has any of them ever come back and said, you need more grit, you need more cussing, you need more sex? <laughs> like, have you ever been in a position where somebody said, you're just not juicy enough for teen romance? I actually know. Like, I know. Is that, is that I a like, question? I like that phrase thing. Are you wanting to be a beta reader for me that does that? <laughs> Only if it's on, if it's on audio. <laughs> Um, Do you need no, audio I've, beta readers? I've never had that. And, and honestly, it's because I choose beta readers that I know are handpicked from the audience. That I, That's my, your target. My niche audience is yeah. Christ, a lot of Christian families or families that want clean content for their okay. kids. So I am specific in picking that. Uh-huh. However, um, I do have a boy beta reader. And they come back with things that are different than the girls, um, which is important because in some of the books like I've gotten into now, I'm in a male perspective part of the thing. Uh-huh. And so he kind of protects my um, my male point of view. And Sam, yeah. Sam does the same thing as a beta reader. But um, no, I, I don't think I've had them ever. Yeah. But there have been times where I thought, is this too juicy or whatever? And they kind of said, no, no, it's fine. You know, okay. so it, it does help in those respects when I'm on the fence. Yeah about something. But no, I really do pick them because I I feel like they represent yeah. the the audience I'm trying to reach. If they're good with it, then I feel like bigger audiences, they're not bigger a bigger audience or somebody who's okay with cussing is never going to be like, "Man, I sure wish they cussed more in that book," yeah, right, you know? Yeah, yeah. But you will have people to be like, "Man, I wish they didn't have cuss words in that yeah. book." You know? I love that because I here's my I've never, I don't know if I've ever told you this before but I have this thought process on books and when they come out and the order in which they come out so let's go with like Twilight so the first Twilight book comes out and your 12 year old is reading it and it's totally innocent mm-hmm. and sweet and then by the, la- the time the last one comes out they're 18 if you've if you've started reading when the books were being published mm-hmm. but that now all of those books are available so at 12 you said my 12 year old read it so your sh- your 12 year old should read it and then all of them are available now they're reading the last book when they're 13 right, right. and they're getting all that 18 year am i making sense yes yeah. they're getting like all that content <clears throat> that a- is older and so it sounds like with your books they can grow up or stay young and they're still going to be okay with that's it. the hope i mean that, that is the hope i will say and let me let me speak to that first that is actually a tactic in publishing mm. um they will tell authors don't put you know know um oh, intimacy 
in the first book, ah. that kind of interview. But you can do it in the second or the third. So they'll they'll have them keep the first one to see how it lands. Because a lot of times when you sign a deal, you're signing, you know, you're you're selling that the rights of that book for one book only. Yeah. A lot of times they'll take one book only and see how it does before then they'll sell, you know, the second right. and third or whatever. So um, so that is actually intentional. I did not realize that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also it is the characters kind of growing up. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the Harry Potter books, no yeah. cussing in that until we get to the last. And there's a beautiful scene with, you know, Mrs. Weasley, get away from my daughter. And she uh -huh. says a word. And uh -huh. it felt, you know, satisfying. Yeah. Um, but we've gone through seven books and they're older. And, Kids have and grown up. Yeah. And you're like, so, I mean. But now you can read them all when you're in fourth grade. Yeah. And so you're getting just a deeper. It's true. You have to think harder, about that. intense content. Especially on the epic ones where they do grow up in mm -hmm. the stories. And I, I have dealt with that in Phantom Island. There's a different maturity level from the fifth book to the first four. I mean, there was a yeah. seven-year gap from book four to when I released uh, Fire Trap last uh -huh. in November. Right. Um, but the maturity level really comes out, I think, more in the writing process and the characters themselves because they're a year older. Yeah. Um, so, But there are some things that they're dealing with that feel like they're on a bigger scale because they're adults now. Mm -hmm. um, but that didn't. I didn't feel like the content had to... Yeah. Become adult because of that. Do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, see, I love that. So, I, when I, you know, I'm a hairdresser, so I have people in my chair. I talk to people mm -hmm. with teenagers, and, and I've mentioned that to many because they're like, yeah, my daughter's starting to read Twilight. My, you know, 20-year-old like cousin started reading it. Yeah, and so, you know, just saying, hey, you know, if you're not growing up with it as they're being published, you're going to be introducing content younger than maybe what you yeah. had hoped or thought. So, Well, part of that, too, for me, I mean, because I started this 12 years ago. So I get new, I've got a whole new generation of readers. So mm -hmm. I have my 20-somethings that were part mm -hmm. of the first group, and I've got multiple adults of all ages, but... Then I've got this new generation that keeps cropping up, and that was interesting coming back seven years to finish a book and put it out, yeah. and still going, well, I'm 40 now, yeah. and I do write differently, and I am interested in some of these deeper themes, but mm -hmm. I still I still had, and that may be why that one word was in there, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but that's why the beta readers are super helpful, because I do think they kind of keep me in line. Yeah. So, so you mentioned the 12-year span. Mm -hmm. So when you first started writing, there really wasn't social media. So it was on the rise. Yeah, it was. Had, it kind of had started, yeah. but it's not like it is now. It, oh yeah. <laughs> so how has social media changed? First, how you market your books, mm -hmm. and then also how it affects your audience. How it's how your audience has changed, mm -hmm. and how you interact with them. Social media so. is like. I mean, we could all agree, right? It's a double-edged sword. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's a great. Sell, it's a great, helpful selling tool. Like, yeah. people that would not have had a chance. And, I mean, even with the rise of self-publishing and all of this, too, it's all kind of interconnected. People who would not have been able to get their work out there suddenly have that access. But, again, that means you have access to all kinds of things, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, I will say social media has made everyone a critic, which, mm. we, oh, yeah. which we know. Mm -hmm. But... You used to, I feel like when you were, when you publish, you used to have to work because the first time I published wind, um, it was, there was, a, there wasn't even an ebook option at that mm -hmm. point. That was kind of a new rumored kind of a thing. Um, but you used to have to worry about what the actual critics thought of your book. Like yeah. you would get it reviewed, you know, school library journal or Kirkus or, you know, all these places, um, and now everybody's a critic. So now you no longer, and, and the way that the algorithms work on like Amazon, 
um, and so many other places, it depends on customer reviews. Back then, you wouldn't chase customer reviews. It didn't matter yeah. what the customers said. It matter what the critics, the actual people said that you could quote on your book or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, so now anybody off the street who's opinionated can... <laughs> yeah. Can give their opinion. Yes, can yeah. give their opinion. And now, <clears throat> you happen to have a book everybody loves, that's going to be super helpful. But if you have a group of people that are out to get you, and this has happened. I mean, I've seen it. I've had friends that this has happened to, trolled by uh-huh. groups, you know, um, taking down their book, and it ruined their career. Wow. So it definitely... Definitely gets, yeah, it definitely gets interesting. And it, you know, I think with social media, the nice thing is like, I'll have, like, I just wrapped up a marketing campaign in March. Like it was the first half of March, but it was like, it went out to all these blogs, the the first book. Um, and so I was getting tagged on Instagram posts, tweets, different things that people, people from Australia, people from the UK, um, you know, reading, I mean, I would not have been able to access those audiences mm-hmm. without social media. And then to be able to share that post and go, here's what somebody said. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of funny because some customer reviews start to have the same, if not more weight than an actual book reviewer, yeah. you know? So it, it, it's a, it's a double-edged thing. Yeah. I think it's, um, it is getting harder to reach teenagers that way. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I've kind of focused more like on Facebook and Instagram. I do have a lot of teenage followers on Instagram, but Facebook's mostly the parents. Yeah. So marketing to parents and grandparents, the, the educators, librarians, mm-hmm. people that buy for teenagers, mm-hmm. that's where, you know, I kind of use social media for that. Mm-hmm. And the kids, you know, they get excited about things, but they really do better at in-person events. And that's been hard yeah, in the pandemic because you hard. haven't, I'm fortunate we got to throw an in-person, you know, release for a fire mm-hmm. trap because that should probably shouldn't have happened, but it didn't. It was that gets the kids excited when you walk into a room and it's like, oh my gosh, it's the island right here. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's we, cool. we were at that and you yeah. had the volcano behind you. Yeah, it so it's an cool. immersive experience. Yeah. Let me tell you, Christy Dallas knows how to set a stage. <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> Let me tell you, Christmas that was our art teacher who did that. Like, I have to rely on people who are ta- more talented than me. Well, in we've been to church game with you. We know, we know you know what you're doing and I've done a few uh, Christmas galas That's with you true. to know that you have an eye for stage presence. <laughs> yes, for when sure. it's interesting you mentioned the in-person is what the kids want mm-hmm. because I was just in I was visiting Jake last weekend in his dorm and two guys were talking like mm-hmm. two of his friends and they were talking about dating mm-hmm. and uh, Dalen had been he'd recently broke up and now he's trying to get back into dating and all that and he's having a snapchat and he really he's <laughs> like I don't really like doing this yeah. he's like I'd rather just meet in person go to dinner or whatever and he's they're like social media has ruined everything <laughs> like it just feels so weird to have to do this through yes. snapchat yeah so it's interesting that you said that mm-hmm. so maybe we're coming back around where people so. don't want to so. do this you yeah. know virtual Listen, relationship they, stuff i think because i'm in a magical world you know it's phantom island series is a portal fantasy i don't know if we said that to the readers but you have a group of teenagers first who are at summer camp. So yeah, the cell explain phone, your things. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're about to enter their senior year. But before that, they're working at a summer camp mentoring preteens who are, it's kind of like a therapy camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there's already a limited cell phone use happening mm-hmm. at the camp. Right. So they have to go to like a special rock to get like, yeah. <laughs> you know, service. <laughs> um, anyway, so they're, they're having to engage each other without mm-hmm. the use of the phones. I mean, yeah. the phones still kind of come in. Well, then mysterious things start happening. Um, 
and they end up breaking a camp rule you're not supposed to cross to the other side of the river but mm-hmm. mysterious things are happening over there and they know it and so our main character Whitney is very um, decisive sometimes <laughs> and she's like I'm exploring so you guys are either with me or you're not uh-huh. so she goes two of the campers that are 12 about 12 years old so I had to have junior high kids in there um, get roped into or they blackmail their way in really <laughs> um, and so then they 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 get onto the other side and they transport to this island and the first person they meet is this like magical very handsome <laughs> island guy who's named Gabriel and he they find out he controls the element of fire and so while they're there obviously the phones don't work when they're on the island um, and so you do I think that's probably why it resonates with teenagers so strongly too because they're outside of their normal experience what would you do if you're stuck on an island with your best guy friend who's starting to have feelings for you? Yeah. And then you've got your best girlfriend who's always the peacemaker between y'all. And then there's this handsome guy who's like <laughs> complicating everything. And then you got two annoying campers who are like stirring up trouble and causing problems and making, you know, they're there because they're having problems relating to the world anyway. <laughs> you know? And so it's just like all this stuff is happening. And meanwhile, you start having powers. I mean, you just created a tornado to fend off a gigantic bug that was you thought was about to attack you. So... I mean, these are the things that happen, and I think teenagers want those experiences, and yeah. you're right. It's not, it's face-to-face. It's right. relationships. It's, it's engaging. It's actually experiencing something right. instead of just looking at your phone. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Social media can't do it for you. So you mentioned characters again. I want to go back to that for a second. When you are coming up with a character, are you think do you think of this is the type of character I want for the story, or do you think of certain people? <laughs> well, like, it's or different. is that a kind of a combination? Well, yeah. it's been different for every book. So, the Phantom <clears throat> Island series started with, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, the Phantom Island series started with people I know. So, yeah, Whitney is a very fictionalized young version of me. Yeah. So everything she does, I it is so easy to write her because I could just filter it as my natural response. When you described her, I thought of you. So I thought Whitney would be in. Was so. the word dramatic again? When I was just like assertive. And... You were thinking of Sam, the hot island boy. <laughs> well, he must be Gabriel. <laughs> Gabriel, right. Um, so I'll, I'll never tell because that's part of the whole series. Wait till those audiobooks come out. Um, uh, Sam is her husband. <laughs> so, uh, oh yeah, 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 we should clarify that. to clarify yeah. He's real. Um, no, no, but I do. I start. I, I did start with that. I started with me, and I started with Sam as one of the characters. Really, the love triangle is probably two sides of Sam. Uh, the guys are kind of oh, okay, um, but one very mainly him, um, and then my best friend from since middle school is Morgan, the main girl. So that was definitely as an amateur writer that really helped me keep my characters very. Um, consistent mm-hmm. and even down to like some of the things that the three of us do in real life melody pops her gum you know um sam has certain characteristics that he does when he's like anxious about something um whitney is Whitney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very dramatic reactions to things. um so so that was you know and they do obviously because their experiences take a totally different um, path than my real life. So it, they become their own as, as things go on. But I do hear right. a lot when people read the first book, like my students especially are like, oh my gosh, Ms. Dallas, you're in my head. Like all I hear is your voice reading this. I'm like, well, don't listen to the audiobook because it really is my voice. Um, so now Icarus Flight School, which is my unpublished one that, that will be hopefully coming out next. That one, I actually wrote the main character to be opposite of me because mm. I wanted to explore that. So she's she's way smarter than me. She's super reserved and like perfectionistic, mm. which that and that part, we may be a little alike in some ways, but, mm-hmm. um, I, I kind of pitch her as a, um, innocent or a 
kind of a female Sherlock Holmes meets innocent Hermione Granger from mm-hmm. she's kind of from Harry Potter. So, so the, in that respect, I kind of wrote her to be different, and the the guy is actually maybe some more qualities in me, more dramatic, but even different. Huh. So as I've you know grown as a writer, yeah, I can start to create them with their own things. Well, but, you want to stretch and yeah. go somewhere else with it instead of. But you have to really protect the voice then not to de- I have to not default back into Whitney's oh, voice, yeah. you know. And in the Phantom Island series, different characters come in and tell the story. So I had to come up with ways, like if we're in Morgan's point of view, well, even her sentence structure has to be different mm. from Whitney mm-hmm. um, to keep the voice different. Yeah. And then we had Gabriel debuted in the uh, Fire Trap. So half of that book is written from a magical dude's perspective. <laughs> and he's like 20 at that point. And so that was really, I was really nervous about that. But surprisingly, now that I'm in Caleb's point of view, because he's going to come help tell the last book, I don't think that's a spoiler. Mm, Ooh, okay. Well, I I think people kind of (laughs) know. I think people know that that's the final point of view that we don't have to end the series. But anyway, now I'm in like a... 18-year-old guy from our world, and so (laughs) my teenage boy beta readers are super important uh, to help me get that. So that one's actually been a lot harder than Gabriel. Gabriel, I could do like long formal language and sentences with him, Uh a little more flowery, a little more emotional and brooding. With Caleb, he's funny, and he's got to be quick and Mm -hmm. witty and funny, and I'm like, oh gosh. (laughs) So it is, yeah, you have to... Still yeah. learn the different nuances of each character. These yeah. sound so fascinating. Like I, I already want to see these in movie oh, form. Girl. So have you thought about pursuing any kind of movie form of these movie of these books? Well, so that is a loaded question right now. Um, um, Scott Hardy, you're leaving us with the um. Um, in the storytelling business, that's called a cliffhanger. Well, this interview was getting so good, we decided to cut it into two parts. We're gonna have a sequel? We're gonna have a sequel, just like Chrissy Dallas's books. Whoa. Whoa. So be on the lookout later this week for part two. Hardy Party of Five and a Half, over and out. We'll see you real soon.